morning and happy new year. As we think about and start a new year, there's nothing better to do on the last day. The last thing we do of a year is to spend our time in worship. Uh, But as we think about a new year, uh, it is also good to think about the life of faith, a life that in some ways we live this year and in many ways failed to live this year. But as we enter a new year, he gives us a, Michael Card has a song where he says, he gives us each new day and he tells us, my child, begin again. And I think he hands us each new year, and he says, my child, begin again. It's a chance to look at the year, to think, and to contemplate where we have uh, fallen short and where we want to grow and to move forward and to advance in a life of faith. We're in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about faith. In many ways, the entire chapter is an exposition of, an illustration of the first verse which tells us now faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, and it's the conviction of things that are not seen. And he spends the rest of the chapter demonstrating that truth in the lives of real people, people who knew him and loved him and lived the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things that are not seen. This morning we're in verses 23 to 28 in a little portion of the life of Moses as an example of these things. And so we read, and we hear then in the Word of God, By faith Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as serving him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover, and he sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the word of God. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we have gathered this last day of the year as an act of faith. To say that you are our treasure. You are the thing that is most important to us. The one who is most important. We love you. We value you. We glorify you above all things. Will you come and visit us this morning by your spirit and your power. And open our eyes. Give us eyes to see and faith to believe that our hearts may be expanded in our lives. More and more brought in line with the truth of your word and the glory of your person. For it is in Christ's name that we ask and pray. Amen. The author is illustrating the life of faith. That's what he's doing over and over and over again through the chapter, but in these verses, he's illustrating the life of faith. He's demonstrating what faith looks like. You can see faith. And he's he's demonstrating, illustrating, showing what it looks like in an actual life, uh, in actual human choices. He's using biography. Biography is a great uh, form of literature. You should read biography, particularly biographies of great Christians, because they're lives that illustrate, demonstrate 
real choices by real people in the life that they lived in the world in which we live and how they did it, the choices they made, who they were. See, the Bible knows nothing of a faith that believes in and expects a a pardon, a a fire insurance at the end. And that's all that it that it believes that that is the essence of the faith, that it simply believes and expects a, a fire insurance. Faith is not just something that we have that believes something about the end. Faith is displayed in choices. Faith is lived. Faith is a life. Faith is a relationship. And so faith affects everything. It shapes who we are. It's a kind of life, a kind of living, and it's helpful to talk about a life of faith rather than a faith that believes in some kind of fire insurance. It's a life, and if there's no life, there's no fire insurance. The two are inseparable. This idea of a salvation in the end is linked to a life of faith, a life that is shaped by living, walking with God and has certain characteristics about it because if the faith is there, It produces fruit. You will know the tree by its fruit. And so we want to look at four characteristics of faith this morning, drawn from the life of Moses. It's notable, it's interesting, that we're going to look at the life of faith in the person who gave us the law. Sometimes in our heads we see these things as utterly opposed to each other, but in the Scripture they're always married together. They're never in opposition except as a way of salvation. As a way of salvation, they're utterly separated because salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. But faith and the law belong together in the sense of that that the law is is an expression of the character of God and who He is. And the life of faith is to live in accordance with the truth of God's Word and His character. And the two belong together. So you can look at the life of faith in the one who gave us the law. And so we notice that when God wants to illustrate faith, right, we're in the New Testament. Christ has come. He wants to show us an an illustration of what it means to live by faith. And what does he do? He goes to the Old Testament. And again, we think of, you know, faith in the New Testament, law in the Old Testament. But no, faith was in the Old Testament just like the law, and law is in the New Testament just like it was in the Old. It's just understanding the relationship of the two. And so here we go to the Old Testament looking to illustrate the life of faith. And he's marching us through the Old Testament stories. All of chapter 11 is, you know, story after story, person after person, life after life, choice after choice. Salvation by grace through faith is not a New Testament innovation. It is the only way that anyone has ever been saved. In the Old Testament or the New, you're saved by grace through faith and ultimately by the blood of Jesus. Or you're not saved, Old Testament or New. So anyway, we're looking at four aspects of faith in the life of Moses. The four are, as you'll see in the four points on the back of your bulletin, if you haven't found the outline, that faith overcomes fear, that faith treasures Christ above all, that faith is certain of the unseen spiritual realities, and that faith trusts in God's provision. And so first we see that faith overcomes fear. We see it in verse 23 when he tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. You know the story of Moses' birth, or most of us do. 
Israelites were under, they were enslaved uh, under the tyranny of Egypt. The whole nation enslaved. The Israelites had migrated to Egypt from uh, the promised land under a famine when Joseph had risen to power there, another story. And so you got the Israelites, they migrated to Egypt and there they prospered. They prospered under uh, Joseph and over many generations and they grew in size and, and uh, at some point they got to be so numerous that uh, the Egyptians started to wonder about this foreign people that were living among them. And as Joseph's memory and his influence faded, he died, and the, the influence and memory faded, the Egyptians began to fear the Hebrews and their, their, their numbers. They were, became a numerous. The promise to Abraham was coming true, that there would be like the, the sand on the seashore, that they would be multiplied. And so the nation of Israel is grown large, and, and Egypt began to fear them, and so they enslaved them. And as eventually, as a means of population control, it says even enslaved, even under those conditions, the nation continued to grow and to prosper in many ways. And the Pharaoh, beginning to fear their numbers, decided we've got to control the population. And so he gave an edict. He decreed that every male Israelite baby would be killed to limit the fighting population among the Israelites. And so Moses' parents have a child. They have Moses. They see this child as a beautiful child. How many parents look at their beautiful child and obey the king's edict? Anyone who has any sense of God's life in their heart would look at a beautiful child and say, no, I'm not going to do it. He'd given them a special child. He was a, was a, every child in that sense is beautiful, a gift from God. And then God had given them this child, and they could not harm the child. It's interesting, in the, in the uh, historian Josephus, he was a Jewish historian, and we have his works. He wrote a history. And it's interesting, he sometimes gives us information. It's extra biblical. It's not in the Bible. We don't know for sure whether it's true or not. It's not God's word. But he does say that, <clears throat> that Moses' mother had, had had a dream, and had a dream that, that Moses would be the deliverer of Israel. That he was a beautiful child and a special child in a unique way. In other words, that God had given her a, a revelation of the, the future of this child and that they were not to put this child to death. Either way, whether that is true or not, they were, in a sense, in a very clear sense, obeying God in not harming their child. The author of Hebrews clearly says the choice to save Moses was a choice of faith over fear. They were risking certain death. When Moses' parents hid the child, they put him in a basket and they set him adrift on the river, on the river Nile. Uh, they, were, they were trusting in God. They were obeying God. They knew that this edict could mean they were risking life and limb. Their own, their own death. By not putting that one to death, risk their own. No one disobeys the Pharaoh and his edicts. And they trusted to God's providence, placing the child on the river Nile in a basket, only hoping that he would be found, being found by Pharaoh's daughter that she saw right away. It was a, he was a Hebrew child. She had said in the text, you know, and that, that she would not harm the child, that she would in some way, trusting to God's providence, risking everything, 
They acted according to God's word. They defied the edict of the king and the country. They risked life and limb. They chose faith, and they acted in accordance with the faith, even if it meant their death. Regardless of the consequences, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Regardless of the consequences, that's faith. Even if it results in death. And we'll see this as Hebrews 11 reaches its conclusion. We read a lot of these stories where there were a lot of victories and beautiful providences and and conquering in, in faith. But as Hebrews 11 ends, it doesn't always go that way. Often those who act according to their faith pay the ultimate price. There are many who taking steps of faith die for it. We see this in the scripture. We see this in history. But here is the thing. The essence of faith and what I want us to get is from from verse 1 that is illustrated in the lives of these people that should be illustrated in our lives. And by the end of this, I hope that we'll get this, that the essence of faith is this. It is the assurance and the certainty that obeying God is always right. And we'll see that's because we see and know the truth of who God is in his kingdom. The essence of faith is the assurance and the certainty that obeying God is always right and it brings eternal reward and blessing. It is always right. So we see faith overcomes fear. We see faith treasures Christ above all. Moses was raised by his mother in Pharaoh's court. So the the daughter of the Pharaoh does find him, and she decides to keep him according to God's providence. She decides to raise the child, but princesses don't really raise children, so they needed someone to raise the child, and they said, I'll find you someone, and they find his mother. And so Moses' mother raises him in the court of the Pharaoh, and she taught him and raised him, and she passed on to him and instilled in him her faith. He grew up believing in the God of Israel. And despite where he's being raised, his mother is the influence, as so many of us all are in our children's lives, to instill faith. Whatever the surrounding circumstances may be, you are all important, mom, dad. Right, So instilling faith in her child, the covenant of Abraham, the promises given to Abraham and to God's people and the promise of the, of the land and, and uh, of the ultimate hope that the child of their destiny will, will be the blessing of all nations. Moses knew who he was. Even as his parents' faith overcame their fear. We see in Moses' life the same thing happen. We see it in verse 27 when it says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, that he too defies the king, following his faith. Choosing faith over fear. He grew, he grew up in the advantages and the privileges of being the son of the daughter of the pharaoh. In the Pharaoh's court, this means that he grew up in probably the most powerful nation in the world, at least one of them in those days, definitely in that area. It was a, they, he grew up in a court where there was vast power, vast wealth, vast pleasures, vast uh, prospects and opportunities, right? There is, 
vast power. The Egyptian royalty in those days, a royalty was seen as almost next to divinity. Right? They, were, they were admired and almost worshipped in their power and in their glory, in their vast opportunities. Any member of the household of Pharaoh wielded incredible power. It's possible that Moses stood in line to be king. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh had no sons. I mean, we don't know. I'm just, again, throwing it out there. It's possible, but even if not, even if he didn't stand in line, he was a prince of Egypt, one of the most powerful people on the planet. He had vast wealth. Egypt is known for its gold and its treasures. And a lot of people wanted to loot Egyptian tombs. Why? They were full of gold, right? And beautiful wealth of, of art and artistry. The tombs of the pharaohs, the entire nation, they had an entire nation of free slave labor building their country and their cities and their tombs. They had vast pleasure then. They're the best food, the best wine, the best of everything. Wealth and power gives access, right, to the best of everything. It says he, had to, he fled the, the pleasures of sin because many of them lead to overindulgence. He had vast access to the pleasures of this world and of the flesh. He had power and wealth and pleasure and prospects. Uh, he was raised and educated in the royal court, right? He had extraordinary opportunities that, that, that shaped him as a per- person. In Acts chapter 7, we read as they're reflecting on, on Israel's history, and of course Moses is, plays prominent in there. It says in Acts 7 that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. He had grown into an impressive man, having been raised with all of those opportunities, the best of everything. The world lay at his feet. He was a prince of Egypt, educated and powerful. And Moses gave it all up. Verses 25 and 6, it says, choosing rather. You know, he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ being identified with his people greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. I'm just thinking, we say that we believe such things, but do we really? And if we had all the treasures, all the wealth and the power and the pleasures that the world has to offer, we were rich beyond measure and powerful to have people do whatever we want. He considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth in all of it. He chose God. He chose the covenant promises. He chose to align himself with Jesus. By aligning himself with the people of God, with the promises of God, he ultimately aligns himself with Christ, who is the inheritor and the fulfillment of all of the promises. Every promise, Paul says, is yes in Jesus Christ. To align yourself, even Old Testament, with God and his covenant and his promises is ultimately to align yourself with Christ, which is how his blood ultimately will save you. He aligned himself with Christ. He did not trade the pleasure and the power and all this for obscurity. 
It says, but rather for mistreatment. He didn't go to neutral, to just obscurity. He didn't give up the popularity and all that stuff to go to just an obscurity. He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. They were an enslaved people. He chose them. He did not trade the treasures of the Egyptian empire for a plain existence, but rather for the reproach, the disgrace. That is quite a choice. I, I, we should feel the weight of that choice. And there are times when we'll have to make just little choices like that. There may come a time where we're going to have to make bigger choices like that. Say we're living in darker times. And, and the world goes the way of the world. God has a purpose and he has a plan and there is a destiny. But these are the choices his people are called to make. Much of so-called Christianity, both in America and around the world, is promising favor and prosperity. You'll have favor in everybody's eyes. You'll get the best parking place. Your boss will promote you. Right? You'll get the best. You'll have favor. Everyone will like you. Scripture says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. But they're promising favor and prosperity. Maybe, but the truth is, faith far more often is costly. It's far more often, at least biblically as you see it, costly. Historically, other than America, we're in our little historical bubble of time and place. The most wealthy, we live in Egypt. The wealthiest, most powerful nation on the planet. We live in Egypt and we we don't know the enslaved people, the Christians around the world who suffer both now around the world and through history. We're in Egypt and we have choices to make. Much of so-called Christianity is preaching favor and prosperity. But Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. It hated me before it hated you. Or 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, indeed, all who would live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Is that not the experience, a growing experience in America? That if you want to keep on the straight and narrow, if you want to keep believing according to God's word, if you want to keep saying right is right and wrong is wrong, light is light and dark is dark, if you want to keep on on this path, anyone who will seek to live a godly life and to say what's godly is godly and what is not godly is not godly will be persecuted. It's happening. I won't see it getting any better. Maybe. But in most countries around the world where Christianity was in the ascendancy and these things started to happen, it didn't get better. Most places around the world, it lost its ascendancy. It's been that way. It was in power in the Middle East in the times of Jesus and Paul, and, you know, and then it's not. Then it was in ascendancy in Europe and the, through the centuries, and then now it's not. 5% evangelical Christian. It's been in ascendancy in America, and everybody thinks it's going to be in ascendancy in America forever. We're the promised nation. Maybe not. Christianity is growing in South America, Asia, Africa. There are more Christians in Africa than in America. I'm just saying. Jesus said, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Richard Phillips says, a commentator says, people often try to evangelize others with promises of how wonderful it is to be a Christian. But Moses presents a truer picture. To be a Christian, you must give up the world to embrace the cross. Jesus said you must count 
the cost. If it hated me, it's likely it's going to hate you. When Christ calls a man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So he does all this. He gives it all up. He makes this choice. Faith over everything else, the world. And it says in verse 26, he did it. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. All the treasures and power of Egypt was not the reward, right? It's it's not the treasure. It's not not the most valuable thing. It is not the thing that, that we were made for. It is not the thing that ultimately and eternally is the treasure that that lasts and exists. He says he considered the reproach of Christ a greater treasure because he was looking to the reward, the reward that is, that is ours in Christ as opposed to all the treasures and pleasures of the world. God's truth and God's promises are a greater wealth than anything else the world has to offer. And do we believe it and will we choose it? And do we choose it every day? Do we choose it in our choices? Do we choose it in the way that we live? Moses had everything the world had to offer. But his eyes of faith, the eyes of faith faith could see the treasure of God's true and eternal and lasting treasure, reward, the life that is eternal, the life of God, the life for which we were made. Back in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, must believe that he is. Right? It says he endured, seeing him who is invisible. Right? He endured, seeing him who is invisible. Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who would draw near to God in faith must believe that he exists, must see him who is invisible, and that he rewards those who seek him, and that that reward is greater than all the treasures the earth has to offer. And you would rather trade your life To have Christ. He traded the whole world. Why? Because faith is certain. My third point there, faith is certain of what we do not see. The eyes to see. He says he had eyes to see him who was invisible. He had faith. He believed in the true, one true and living God, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible. It says he he had faith. He could see the one who was invisible. He had the assurance of what, what he could not see, he had the conviction of the things that were hoped for, the promises that were made in Abraham and ultimately fulfilled in Christ. He had, he had the assurance and the conviction. And so he made a very conscious, deliberate, purposeful decision. It was not foolish. It was calculated to trade all the treasures and pleasures, to be aligned with the enslaved, despised people of God. We see this in the world of politics that when people obtain money, sex, and power, they do anything to keep it. So much of the politics today has nothing to do with you and the good of the country. It has to do with keeping power. Money, sex, and power. I got it, and I'm not letting it go. 
and I will use all the mechanisms and levers in my control to keep it. We see it in ourselves. We attain a certain status, a position. We start making and obtaining a certain amount of money. Start to feel a certain way about ourselves and what we have and what we have done and be a little full of ourselves. And Hebrews warns us about how the heart becomes hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The pleasures and treasures of this world. It's harder for the rich man, Jesus said. Not impossible, it's just harder. The deceitfulness that captures our hearts and our minds. See, only one thing can explain the choice that Moses makes. If you imagine yourself in his position and you had it all. See, for us, it's hypothetical. And even, even, even the suffering that we now as Christians are undergoing in America, I mean, let's get real. We're still the most privileged people on the planet. But the real choice that he had to make, the real choice, just think, if you had to give your house, your retirement account, a lot of your stuff, the people think well of you as an accomplished person that you've done well for yourself, to line yourself on enslaved people or people who are despised, disregarded, to give it all up, to change your whole life now would be a, a totally different life. It's a real choice that he had to make. And it says in verse 27 that he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The eyes of faith. He could see a reality, the reality and the truth of the living God. He could see the glory and the power of the one true and living God and the, the true wealth and treasure that he and the life that he offers is an eternal life to inherit the promises that God gives. Faith is certain, right? It has the assurance and the conviction of the truth and reality of spiritual things. That is the essence of faith. If you get nothing else that Robert says this morning, that God says this morning, it is this, that the essence of faith is the certain assurance and conviction of the truth and the reality of spiritual things. That you are utterly convinced, certain and assured of the reality of spiritual things. That, are, that, that the spiritual things are just as real as the pew or the chair you're sitting in. Because if they are, wow, that really does begin to change some of our choices. How we spend our money, what we do with our time, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those other things you're chasing after, he will provide for you. Don't worry about it. Just make sure, make sure that you seek first. Right? Faith is the assurance that these things are, are true. See, Moses could see that the gods of Egypt were idols and the God of Israel was the one true and living God. He was the Lord and the Almighty. He could see that the Egyptians were in rebellion against the true God and that Israelites, though enslaved, were the, the true people of God. He could see that it's better to have God's honor and God's favor than to sit on the king's throne. He could see that it is 
that the pleasures and treasures of Egypt are not worth being compared to the treasure that God offers us in himself and for all eternity. He could see it's better to suffer with the people of God than to prosper in the world's, with, the world's enemy, with God's enemies in the world. It is better to suffer with the people of God than to prosper with God's enemies. Faith is being so certain of what we cannot see that it chooses and it lives in accordance with the unseen truth than with the materialistic things we can lay our hands on. Dallas Willard says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Right? We get that. That, that, that the, the choices, that's what we're saying. Faith is a life. Faith is it's a series of choices. It's being so certain and assured of unseen realities that our choices, what we do with our time and our money, may look foolish to the world, but they are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Do you act? Do you choose? Like the things we talk about on every Sunday morning are true and real. Like when you walk out of here and you've got to make decisions about your money, do you act like these things are true? What you do with your time, all the opportunities that are before you, the needs that arise, the life of the church, do we act and live in accordance with the truth of God's word or do we nod our heads and then live like atheists? Practical atheists. We say we believe, but we live like we don't. Some have said, you want to know what somebody really treasures, look at their checkbook. We can say we treasure the kingdom, right? But when it comes down to the practical choices, right? And those, I think, are real choices when it comes down to, because these are the things that it's money and power, the things that, that, that capture our hearts. So do we serve you know, in the life of the church and in, and in the things of God and the things that he calls us to and the opportunities before, do we serve like it's true? Do we tithe like it's true? Do we worship like it's true? Do we live our days like it's true? Do we pray like it's true? Moses would rather die at the hand of the king than be unfaithful to the one true God. Faith could see him who was invisible. And Paul, Paul in Romans 8, 18, he says this, I consider the sufferings of this present time. They're not worth being compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Right? The eyes of faith see the glory of the eternal God, the truth, the power of his kingdom, and they live in accordance with that. And so 2 Corinthians 4, 18, Paul says this, we look not to the things that are seen, to the power, to the wealth, to all those things. Every day that we put our hands on, he says, those aren't the things that, that govern our choices and our living. They're not the things. He says, I don't look to the things that are seen. The edict of the king, right? The treasures of the world. I don't look to the things that are seen. I look to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen, they're transient. There's no U-Hauls in the back of the hearse, right? You can't take it with you. There, all of it that we have amassed, the scripture asked at one point, who's going to enjoy it? Should the Lord take you today? 
It's transient. It, it doesn't last. It's not worth being compared with the glory that will be revealed. The things that are unseen are eternal. Faith is a conviction of things that are not seen. It is certain of the unseen reality it chooses and it lives according to the truth. There is a profound spiritual logic in investing our time, our talents, and our treasures in the kingdom of God. It is not blind faith. It is a calculated choice to lay up our treasures not on earth where moth and rust eat and destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather to lay up our treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust destroy nor thieves break in and destroy. Right? This is Jesus' advice. Invest wisely. And so finally, we just end with faith, trust in God's provision. Faith overcomes our fears. <clears throat> Sees the unseen, it trusts in God's provision. We see it in verse 28. It says, by faith, he kept the Passover. And he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, he kept the Passover. Sprinkled the blood. In other words, he did what God told him to do. Again, it's living according to God's word and not according to anything else. Even when it doesn't make a lot of sense. He said, take a Passover lamb. It's the first one. Right? Seems, you know, that's, we don't know all about Passover lambs. But this is the first time. God said, take a lamb and put its blood on the doorposts of your house to mark your house as mine. Moses said, all right. The people of God said, all right. And they obeyed. They lived and they acted and they chose in accordance with God's word. And they were delivered from the destroyer. As you know, the final plague to sweep over Egypt, the tenth plague, was the angel of death was going to strike down the firstborn of the land, all the firstborn. And God provided for the salvation of his people through sacrifice and blood that there will be, if you offer a sacrifice, a substitute to die in your place and you place the blood on your, on your doorpost of your house as, you, as, as a symbol of a, placing it on your family, that your family is covered by the blood, that the angel of destruction, the destroyer will pass over and you will be saved. As we all know, the Passover lamb, according to the New Testament, is nothing but a symbol of Jesus. Right? It is nothing that points us to Christ. His, the blood of the Passover lamb. God's ultimate provision for our salvation. Jesus himself converts the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper. Right? This meal is about me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. I am the Passover. And it's my blood on the doorposts of your soul that, that, will, that will deliver you from the wrath that is to come. Jesus himself says this cup is a new covenant in my blood. God made a provision for Moses and the people of God. They believed it. They acted accordingly. According to his word, they believed, they trusted, they chose, and they acted, and they were saved. And God provided for us. He gave his only son. That whosoever would believe in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life, that treasure, which is the only true treasure. The life that is eternal, the life that is with God and the, that we were created for in his presence. Jesus is the ultimate treasure that outweighs all the treasures of the earth. He is the pearl of great price that if you find it, you sell all of your worldly goods and you buy it. 
right? It's the treasure. He's that treasure in a field that if you, you find it, you sell all your worldly goods and you buy that field, right? He's that treasure for which you would give up every other thing should that be the cost. This is what Paul says in Philippians 3.8, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. Because having him, I have everything. And it can never be taken away. And it can never be lost. Faith are eyes at sea. They are certain of what is unseen. It has the assurance of the things that we hope for. Martin Luther said, faith is living, deliberate confidence in the grace of God. So certain that for it one would die a thousand deaths. And such confidence makes you joyous, intrepid, fearless, and cheerful. It overcomes our fears. It lives in certain assurance of what we can't see. It treasures Christ above all. And as the scripture says, let him who have eyes to see, let him see and live and choose accordingly. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. But mostly we thank you for Jesus, that treasure above all others the one for whom we would trade all things. And I pray that in the hearts and minds of your people this morning, that that movement would be made by faith, that we would be certain of those things we cannot see and assured of those things that we hope for in Christ. And as such, that our lives would demonstrate, they would illustrate the truth that is you and the hope and promises that are ours in Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.